Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the D1 Only Podcast presented by TAP, Thoughts, Actions, and Progress. My name is Eduardo Villalpando and I'm your host and I want to thank our sponsor TAP for making this possible. Also, thanks to all the listeners for being here with us. Today we got ourselves a very special guest, Drew Hanlon. Thank you for being here, man, and welcome to the show. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for your patience and I'm glad we finally were able to connect. Yeah, for sure. Drew is from originally from San Luis, Missouri. During his high school days, he was a two-time All-State selection at Webster Groves High School. While at college, he was an NCAA Division I student athlete at Belmont University, where he competed in the NCAA tournament. Now he's created his own brand, Pure Sweat, as an NBA skills trainer and working out players like Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, and many more. So just congrats on a great career so far, man. No, I appreciate it. It's fun. You know, as, as, as a kid, I always dreamed of playing in the NBA and, uh, you know, playing in the NCAA tournament, like you had mentioned. And I got to play in two NCAA tournaments, but I wasn't ever good enough to play in the NBA. But, uh, you know, my, my hard work and dedication and just, you know, me being relentless as a worker on the basketball court as a player led to me trying to help other players with their workouts. And uh, fortunately, I worked with some of the guys you named and a bunch of other guys, but uh, it's a blessing just to be around the NBA game and to help some of the best players in the world. Nice. And that actually leads me to my first question. I guess let's just get it started. Before we get into all this basketball-related stuff, from my understanding, when I was doing some research, I noticed that you were a great soccer player as well. You got like an all-state selection, 12 goals and four assists in Webster Groves High School as a senior. So I'm intrigued to know how is it that you decided to go to Belmont and you just chose basketball over soccer? Yeah, so to be honest with you, I was better at soccer than I was basketball growing up. Uh, my mom played college soccer, and I came from a soccer family. And, uh, you know, I, I was dribbling, uh, you know, juggling the soccer ball and dribbling around cones and kicking the ball against uh, boards, working on my left foot and my right foot, trying to paint the corners of boards uh, when I was younger uh, to work on my soccer game. And um, I had a lot of success. It's just I loved basketball more, and, and I really do believe that the – the first thing you need to have uh, if you want to be successful in anything in life is a true passion and a true love for whatever that is. And I just love basketball more. I found myself gravitating to the gym more than the field. And, and so I gave up soccer um, in, in eighth grade or seventh grade, actually. And then I took off four or five years of soccer. And then I played my senior year just for fun because uh, one of my best friends, Matt Hardy, played on the team. And he said, Drew, listen, you already committed to Belmont. Uh, you know, you already signed your papers. You got your scholarship. He's like, I'd love to, for you to come out and, and help our soccer team win more games. And um, after five years, I still was, you know, the leading scorer. And, uh, you know, we, we had a, a really fun senior season. But uh, the truth is, I think that, you know, me growing up playing soccer actually helped me a lot in basketball just because I understood uh, footwork. I understood spacing. Um, and those things, you know, carry over to any sport that you're in. So would you say you could have been a Division One student athlete in soccer? For sure, for sure, no doubt in my mind, I could have been a, uh, you know, a soccer and, and again football too. I played quarterback as a football player, and um, you know, I, I broke my leg my uh, freshman year in high school, and so I decided, you know, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go all in on basketball. But um, I was just one of those athletic guys that um, you know is it was always uh, you know really hardworking. So if I decided I was gonna do something. I was going to be persistent enough until I, I was able to get the results that I wanted. Nice. And I've actually been seeing stories from you, like you're in the golf game now, right? So you could have been also a Division One student athlete in golf. I never played golf growing up. So I was, I was trash at golf when I was growing up. But, uh, you know, during the pandemic, uh, you know, I wanted to be outside. And golf was probably the only safe thing that you could do, um, you know, outside of just uh, spending time in a, in a bubble or around your family, you know. And so... I started picking up golf. I hired a swing coach, and 
you know, I'm just as persist, persistent and relentless at, at golf as I am any of these other sports. So, uh, you know, I've been playing every day, going to the range, you know, working on practice drills. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those sports that I'm still learning, but I've definitely got a lot better over the last, uh, you know, 12 months. Awesome. So um, let's talk a little bit about, of course, you went to Belmont, which is like kind of a mid-major school. Uh, what would you say are some of the advantages of going to a mid-major slash small Division One school as opposed to going to all these big programs like UCLA, USC, Kansas, and things like that? I've actually had multiple guests on the podcast who have told me they're actually, they actually feel more comfortable in an environment where, I don't know, like the classrooms are a little bit smaller, the professor maybe pays more attention to you than if they would have, at, I don't know, at a bigger school like UCF. So from your experience at Belmont, how was that? Let's start off by saying every kid dreams of playing at the biggest schools possible you know when I was growing up I dreamed of playing you know at the Dukes and the North Carolinas and I mean that's everybody's dream is to play at the highest level possible um, but when I got my college scholarships I had you know 24 division one scholarships when I started to look at them I, I looked at three things number one was I wanted to make sure that I'd be happy at that school if I got hurt so I had to love the school I had to love you know, the people there, I had to love the academic program and all that kind of stuff. So number one was just overall, do you love the school? If you Would you be happy with that school selection if you got hurt? Which is an important question, uh, you know, if you're out there getting recruited to ask yourself. Number two, do you love the people associated with the program, meaning the coaches, the players, the staff that helps out, you know, the athletic trainers, um, the advisors, and do you love the professors? So the people is number two. Um, you got to love those people because you're going to spend – 85, 90% of your time with, uh, you know, the people around the, the sports programs, and you're going to become family members with a lot of your teammates, you know, because you spend, uh, you know, all the time on campus with them, you're in classes with them, you're in the training room with them, you're eating with them, you're traveling with them, etc. And then the third question is, you know, I wanted to go to a school that it wasn't just fun for four years, I wanted to go to a school that prepared me for the next 40 years. And what I mean by that is, you don't want to just go to a school and kind of get through it, you want to get something from it. And for me, I was looking to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to be a basketball trainer after I was done playing basketball. And uh, I wanted to go to a school with a great business program and entrepreneurship program. And, uh, you know, Belmont checked off all those boxes. I love the school. I love the people. I love the academic program, entrepreneurship program specifically. And uh, that's why I ended up feeling really comfortable and, and committing. And it was one of the better decisions that I ever made. Yeah, so I guess it's safe to say you're a proud alumni, right? <clears throat> Super proud alumni. You know, right now we're, uh, you know, we, we've been to the NCAA tournament, uh, I don't know, 10 out of the last, like, 15 years, I think. It, it could be even more than that. Um, you know, we're always in, in the hunt to win conference championships. And um, next year we're actually starting out uh, preseason ranked number 23rd, uh, which will be the first time we're ever, uh, you know, ranked top 25 to start a season. So I just love that, um, you know, Coach Bird really transitioned. My head coach, when, when uh, I was there at Belmont, he took Belmont from an NAIA school, then to a Division One school, and then obviously built it into the program that it is today. And my associate head coach, Casey Alexander, who's now the head coach, he took over and continued the winning tradition. So it's really fun to watch, and I'm, I'm a super proud alum, and, and I, I follow them very closely and cheer them on as much as I can throughout the season. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your playing career at Belmont. While you were there, you went your freshman year from averaging 10 minutes per game to your senior year where you were averaging 32. I guess 
I don't know if you could, could talk a little bit about how patient the freshmen have to be when they come into college, because of course, when they're in high school, normally they are, if they're going to a division one school, most likely they're the, the best player, like everywhere they've been, they've been the best player in high school. So how patient do they have to be or how patient were you when you got to Belmont and how did you develop over the years? It's a hard transition because, like you said, you know, I went from being player of the year in Missouri, winning a state championship, uh, you know, the whole offense is run through me, to uh, backing up a third-team All-American and Alex Renfro, who, you know, is still overseas in Europe and, and uh, doing, doing very well. And so, um, you know, it's a hard adjustment to make, but what you have to really remember is that, uh, you know, when you get there, the only thing that you can do is continue to improve, continue to develop, and, um, you know, when you're good enough, you'll earn those minutes, and then... Uh, you'll earn the role that you want. And so, you know, I, I'm a big believer in kind of, uh, you know, sticking things sticking things through and, uh, you know, being persistent and, and getting good enough where, uh, you know, the coach has to play you. And, you know, I do think there are some cert- circumstances where uh, players transfer and they do improve their situation, improve their role, and it does benefit them. But I think so many players these days run from tough situations um, instead of just really, you know, looking at themselves and saying, what can I do to – to really change my situation. And a lot of times that's just by getting better and improving. And so, you know, I always tell players, the first thing that you should do before, you know, jumping ship and trying to transfer is see if you can improve your current situation by improving yourself. Go to the coach, have a conversation, say, coach, I want, you know, a bigger role. I want to play more minutes. I want, you know, more touches. What do I have to do to earn your trust to get those things and to earn those things? And a lot of times the coach will give you an answer. They'll say, hey, listen, I don't trust you with the ball because you turned the ball over too much. Or, you know what, you're not good enough on defense. You really hurt us on defense. Or offensively, you don't know any of the plays or you don't know our offense enough or you're not making enough shots. And then you can go work on those things. But players should constantly be uh, asking themselves, what do I need to do to help improve my team's chances of winning instead of what they normally do, which is, you know, how can the team help me and how can I benefit more from the team? And I think that when when you have a team-first mentality – uh, which means, you know, how can I contribute to my team's success? That's when you really find the secret sauce of uh, what you need to work on, what you need to improve on, so that eventually you can play that role that you, you know, want to play. Yeah, and I feel also that, especially while student athletes are stuck in kind of these situations, it has to be like so mentally draining, you know, because at the end of the day, with that, they're not going to be able to perform neither on the classroom or on the court. I remember a quote by you. I think you posted this like two summers ago or something like that in one of those unseen hours. Or was it when you went to Las Vegas? I don't know. I don't remember what you were like. Most of the time when players are going through slumps, it has nothing to do with life. No, everything to do with life and nothing to do with basketball or something like that. And it was just amazing. It's so true. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, any time you have issues on the court, uh, you know, it leads to off the court stress. And anytime you have issues off the uh, court, it leads to on court stress. And so really what you're trying to do is you're trying to make sure that your life's in order so that your game's in order. And you're trying to make sure your game's in order so that your life is in order. A lot of times those go hand in hand because basketball players, athletes in general, a lot of times their identity is almost through their sport. They've always known themselves as an athlete. And, you know, the first thing is perspective, understanding that basketball is just a small part of life. And, you know, eventually the ball is going to stop bouncing at at some point. And so you need to be, uh, you know, bigger than basketball. And the second thing is understanding how blessed we truly are to play a game that we all love. You know, here I am as a freshman, you know, that found myself every once in a while, you know, being like, man, I only played 10 minutes tonight. And, 
you know, I think I really could have helped us win this game that we lost, you know, by a couple points. But in the grand scheme of things, I should have been really looking back and saying, man, your 10-year-old self, all you wanted to do was play college basketball. Now you're getting a college scholarship. They're literally paying for your education. You're getting to go to college for free. You're on a team. You get to compete for, you know, conference championships. You get to play in NCAA tournaments. This is what you dreamed of, and now you're here. you got to you appreciate all the blessings that – uh, you know, are happening right now. And, and I don't think enough players think like that. I think enough play, uh, more players kind of look at, well, yeah, I know I used to want this, but now that I'm here, I want more. And it's, I, my grandma had a saying that I love. She always used to say, listen, you're never going to have everything that you want, but you're always going to have more than you need. And when you have that perspective in life and in, in basketball, it's a great thing to have because, you know, you should feel blessed and privileged uh, to be able to play the game that you love. You should also feel blessed that, uh, you're at where you're at if you're playing college basketball. And then you can strive for more, but you shouldn't stress for more. And I think that's the biggest difference is you can strive for more, but not stress for more. And when players really uh, understand that and, and buy into that, that's when they, they finally, uh, you know, play with that peace and calmness that allows them to be successful. Yeah, that's great. And I also, like, my coach actually told us a quote the other day and he, that he was like, if the worst thing that happens to you in one day is like you having a bad practice, then you're like really lucky. I always tell, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, listen, your worst day, somebody is praying for the things that happen on your worst day. You know, on, on my worst day, I still have food. I still have clothes. I still, you know, have warmth. I still have a roof over my head. I still have people that love me. I have people that support me. I have people that care about me. There's a lot of people around this his world that that pray for those things so you know you having a bad game a bad practice while i you know i understand that you you should care about those things and you should you know strive to be the best at your craft you shouldn't let life kind of go downhill just because you have a bad game a bad practice or even a bad slump yeah for sure before we continue with another episode of the D1 Only podcast presented by TAP, we want to talk to you about our sponsor, Thoughts, Actions, and Progress, who provide the opportunity to any athlete around the world to build their own mental program. TAP, Thoughts, Actions, and Progress offers self-thought manuals focused on the athlete's mindset growth. They give athletes the opportunity to create their own mental program, and these are manuals adapted for different levels at an affordable price. Everyone go check out tapmindset.com as well as the Instagram page, tapmindset for more information. Um, so you were named an academic all-conference, if I'm not mistaken, each of your four years while at Belmont, which kind of talks about how academically and athletically balanced you were. Would you say you focus on academics since your days in high school, or as you came into college, you realized more the importance of it? All my life. I mean, to be honest with you, my parents were, you know, <laughs> you got to bring home A's and B's if you want to, you know, do all the things that you want to do. And and they were so supportive of everything that I did. You know, they basically backed me. Uh, you know, if I wanted, uh, you know, to play soccer, they, they supported that. If I want to play football, they supported that. If I want to play baseball, they supported that. If I want to play basketball, they supported that. And they made sure I had the most opportunities. I think that's the number one thing a parent can do is just basically, uh, you know, try to provide as many opportunities and support their kid as much as they can in whatever they love. And I happen to love, you know, sports and basketball specifically. Uh, but one thing that they were very uh, – uh, stern on was you got to get good grades because that's going to benefit you later in life and you know I look at all the things I do now and uh, you know I was a big math lover uh, you know I loved math and and now I'm, I'm breaking down analytics and I'm studying numbers and I'm trying to help my clients become more efficient and effective well 
thank God that I love math and, and spent a lot of time on math when I was younger. And, uh, you know, there's other things that, that I learned in, in business school or entrepreneurship school that I, I still use today that, that have helped me grow Pure Sweat to a global brand. And so, um, you know, I think that school is so important. You know, I think most people just have an attitude of like, let's get through school instead of like, let's get from school. Let's get something from school. And while I'd be lying to you to tell you that I loved every class, you know, if I was in a, a social studies class, I did not care about, you know, anything that went on in the past. And I was not very well-rounded, but uh, when it came to business, when it came to math, when it came to uh, the things that, that I was truly passionate about, I was all in and making sure that uh, I was learning as much as I could. So do you think student athletes don't necessarily take advantage of the free education that they're getting? It depends. I think some of them do for sure. I think that I was in a different situation. I was not uh, planning on going to play professional basketball. I knew I wanted to be a, a you know an NBA skills coach and consultant, and so uh, you know that's where my energy and effort was focused. And anything that could help me be a better uh, businessman or a better basketball trainer, I was going to make sure that I poured my heart and soul into it. Um, you know, I was I was somebody that uh, I, I had when I was in high school. I never uh, read books. You know, but when I got to college, I started reading more books. And when I got out of college, I started reading, you know, now I read, you know, two to three books a week uh, just because I want to uh, accumulate as much knowledge as I can so that I can perfect, uh, you know, my craft both on the court and in the business world. And so I think that really what, what student athletes need to do is just understand what's going to help them most moving forward. I think a lot of times they have short term focus. Um, you know, for, for somebody that maybe is a one-and-done player, so like a Jason Tatum, a Bradley Beal, a Joel Embiid, you know, a Zach Levine, I have a bunch of guys on, that I work with that were one-and-dones. Those guys aren't trying to go to college for a college degree. Those guys are going because they want to play basketball, but it would be smart of them if they took classes that helped them with, uh, you know, learning how to handle their money and manage their money. It would be smart to take communication classes so that they can learn how to speak or public speaking. It'd be smart for them to... Uh, learn how to do all these things because those things are going to benefit them. And so I think that, uh, you know, to say that, uh, you know, a well-rounded education is important, I don't think that's necessarily 100% true. But I do think that uh, being able to select things that are going to benefit you based on your career path, I think those are very important. And I think that uh, more, more students and student-athletes should uh, look at, um, you know, whether it's books, whether it's classroom sessions, whether it's Uh, you know, in, in internships and experience, they should look at those opportunities to really uh, benefit themselves for the future instead of just looking at kind of the new, uh, you know, kind of the, um, you know, kind of waste of time that it is in the present. So having said that, how do you think being a student athlete at such a high level, like it's Belmont, help you become the successful trainer you are today? I mean, there's a ton of things that I could say. I mean, I could say that, you know, some of the business strategies that I learned from Dr. Cornwall and some of my professors helped me out. I could also say that, um, you know, being able to manage my time, you know, as a student athlete, you, you have so many demands, whether it's uh, going to, uh, you know, morning uh, conditioning stuff and then afternoon weightlifting and then you have practice and then you have film studies and then you have to travel and you have to manage, you know, your class schedule as well and your homework and preparing for tests. And then on top of that, I was running a business and I was training NBA players when I was in college. So, I mean, time management was another big thing that I learned from Uh, being a student athlete and being a, a you know a business owner while I was also in college, so I think there's a ton of things that you can 
uh, you know, make out of being a, a student athlete. But I think the biggest thing is just try to take as many opportunities and, and take advantage of those opportunities as you can because, um, you know, these are some of the best years of your life. Um, and, and it's also a lot of people love to help college students. As soon as you get out of college, now you're just either an unemployed person or, or you're somebody that, uh, you know, was a former athlete and they're not as likely to help you out. And so that's a big thing I always tell student athletes is take advantage of every opportunity. Try to connect and network with as many people as possible. Try to be good to as many people as possible because relationships matter way more than, uh, you know, connections. And uh, if they do those things, I think then they're going to be able to benefit for sure. Nice. So you mentioned pure sweat. So let's get into that before we get to the final segment of the podcast episode presented, presented by TAP. So you graduated in 2012 and opted to open your own brand, Pure Sweat, one of the premier training companies within the industry today. How was that process just starting from scratch, opening your business? And how did you develop a relationship with all these players? I read somewhere that David Lee was actually your first client. So how did that all happen? Yeah, so I started training players in high school, and uh, you know, one of those players is Bradley Beal, and Brad went from eight points a game as a freshman in high school to 24 points a game as a sophomore in high school. When he exploded, everybody was like, what did you do? And he had grown a few inches, he had been lifting weights with his brothers, he had, you know, his mom and dad had already, uh, you know, taught him some of the fundamentals of basketball and shooting and stuff like that, but um, me being able to take his game to the next level really helped me, uh, you know, start my training career. And then I started just training a lot of other local athletes in St. Louis, helped a lot of players get college scholarships, uh, started training David Lee. He went to the same high school as, as, as Brad. And so that's how that relationship was formed. And then, um, as you know, in anything in life, you know, if, if you're helping people get results, if you're helping take people to where they want to go and beyond that, uh, other people are going to want you to do the same with them. And so uh, me being able to help Brad and then David and then countless others uh, get results. A lot of other people seeks out, you know, my training and, uh, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of opportunities and make the most of those. Yeah. And before we jump into the final segment, I want to touch a little bit on you're still so young, but what people don't know if you you've grinded a lot over the last couple of years, that's what people don't understand. And success comes comes at different times and different ways for everyone. Of course, there's examples like yourself, like Shams Charania, who is at the Athletic, Omar Raja, who is at Sports Center right now, who I guess a lot of people don't understand that these guys are exceptions. You know, at the end of the day, you have to grind over an extended period of time in order to succeed what you've been looking for your entire life. What advice would you give all these young, not even student athletes or high school athletes, just people in general who are like, who want the success right away and they don't have the patience to wait for it? Well, to be honest with you, there's, there's no advice I can give to somebody that is not going to be persistent and have, uh, you know, patience. I think that there's a difference between patience and persistence. Patience to me is somebody that's waiting around. I think persistence is someone that's chipping away. And I think you have to be persistent. Uh, but my best advice would be, uh, I mean, and again, I know it seems crazy, but, you know, hard work is not a separator. Hard work is expected. So what are you going to do to separate yourself from everybody else? And I think that's the biggest thing that people have to ask. You know, as a basketball player, I shot a thousand shots every day before school. I woke up at 4.59 a.m. I met my principal, uh, John Clark, at, at my high school at 5.15 a.m. And I shot a thousand shots every single day. You know, I also, at 12 years old, I gave up sweets. And so those were the things that helped me as a basketball player. As a skills trainer, the first thing that I did when I was trying to learn the game, remember I was, you know, 19 years old when I started working out NBA players, and I, I didn't have the years of experience that some of these other coaches, you know, and trainers had. And so I had to kind of, how do I, 
how do I shrink the gap between the knowledge that I need and the knowledge that I have? I watched every single made field goal from eight NBA seasons. I mean, that's over a million field goals that I watched because I wanted to take notes. I wanted to break down the film. I wanted to learn the game. And I thought the best way to learn the game was watch film and then reverse engineer how all those things happened. And so I think really you have to do some crazy things to really uh, help yourself stand out and, and separate because everybody is working hard these days. Everyone says they're willing to do anything and everything to make it happen. But the truth is only the people that are actually doing all those things to separate themselves are the ones that are going to win in the long run. Yeah, that, that's a great way to cap the episode off. Um, thank you, man. Thank you so much for dropping those gems. I've actually got one last segment. Of, this is the last segment of the podcast. It's called the D15, presented by TAP. It's basically five rapid-fire questions. You got to answer them as fast as you can. I'm going to put you kind of on the spot, so you got to be careful. Perfect. Let's go. Belmont or Missouri? Belmont. You're talking about basket. If you're talking about Missouri uh, as the college, I'm going Belmont all day. Favorite part of coaching? I love helping people succeed, and I love putting a smile on people's face. I love that aha moment when something finally clicks and they, they finally experience whatever they've been striving for. Favorite college memory? Losing to Duke by one, to be honest with you. We played at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, I had four threes in the second half. We came back. We ended up losing by one. But as a kid, I always dreamed of playing in Cameron. And, uh, you know, to, uh, to opening night, ESPN game, um, you know, it was just really, it was really something that atmosphere is crazy, but it was my favorite memory for sure. Most listened artist at the moment? I'm an old school Little Wayne guy. Old school Little Wayne. You know, I'm, I'm not a very new school music guy, but if you give me old school Little Wayne, uh, I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, rap most of his lyrics, uh, you know, so that, that's, that's my go-to. Other than basketball related, what profession would you like to attempt? The thing that I'm actually doing now, I, I do a lot of consulting for uh, people, like whether you call it, you know, executive coaching or, um, you know, life coaching, I just love helping people. I mean, to be honest with you, that's why I do what I do. It has nothing to do with, you know, me loving basketball. I do love basketball, but I love helping people. And so, uh, you know, that's what my next kind of uh, realm is, is, is to be able to help inspire as many people, to be able to help as many people take action and be able to help as many people achieve real, true inner peace. Um, because I think there's a lot of successful people that don't have inner peace. You know, that their life, even though they've got everything in the world that anybody could want, they don't have the one thing that they really need, and that's that inner peace. And when I say inner peace, I just mean when you're not worried, you're not stressing, you have a calmness about you inside, uh, where you're so sure that you're, you know, where you're supposed to be, with who you're supposed to be with, doing what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, that's what I hope to, to bring to the world. I hope to, you know, if I had a, you know, everybody asks, like, what's your superpower? Think about the Midas touch. The Midas touch would be everything that you touch turns into gold. I would love to add kind of a uh, kind of a Midas touch, but everything that I, you know, every person that I, I, I talk to or, or anybody that consume my content, they found inner peace. That would be my, my secret power. So uh, that, that's what I hope to do moving forward. And when would you say you started feeling this confidence in within yourself of just being able to help other people? And was it like something in college or as throughout your career went by is that you've realized that? It was instilled in me from, you know, my family. That's that's the kind of perspective that my family has always had. And, uh, you know, I think it's a perspective that I, I hope to, to share with a lot of other people just because, like we talked about earlier, we truly are blessed uh, beyond, you know, kind of... <laughs> even our understanding and so um you know if we really start 
uh, appreciate those blessings instead of, uh, you know, wishing we had more. I think that's when uh, we start really, truly winning in life, which has nothing to do with what we, you know, accomplish or what we, uh, you know, we get. But it's basically what we feel and what we get. Dropping game, Drew, dropping game. I love it. Thank you so much, man. That's all I got for you today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're kind of busy right now with all you're doing, especially getting ready for the off season. But I just really appreciate you taking the time and basically dropping a little bit of knowledge on myself and also on all the listeners, because I think that collegiate athletics is like super important and just be being able to get a free education or some sort of like scholarship and being an, at an athlete in, in the United States, I think is huge. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. No doubt. I enjoyed it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you also to all the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the D1 Only Podcast presented by TAP, Thoughts, Actions, and Progress, and see you guys next time.